This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Or Yitzchak. It's been about a year. We're back on a, well, it's supposed to be a Tuesday night, but we're a little bit delayed due to COVID. Anyway, just very interesting. I got a phone call as I left my house tonight from a girl um, who said that someone told her to call me. Sounds like a very nice, very intelligent girl. And she said, um, I have two questions. Question number one, how do you know there's a God? Question number two, if there's a God, how do you know he gave the Torah? You can answer that question. How do you know there's a God? How does anyone in this room know you, there's a God? Oh, even Einstein. Very simple. See the yeah. Imagine you have a, uh, yeah, an yeah. iPhone, and there's a button on one side of the room to the other. And how long would it take if every single wire is connected from one, that one hit till the screen pops up? Seconds, right? Imagine every wire is disconnected. You hit that one button. How long would it take for that screen to turn on? It's not going to turn on. Exactly. So How's the sun coming up down? How's people walking around? Something's got to control it. Yeah. Something. Okay. So, I, I don't think she. I don't. I don't think she would have bought that. You have to be a little bit more. Um, you have to be a little bit more. More. De- more. You have to be more detailed. Okay. That's his example. That's what he's. That's what he's working with. He's not. He's not, bringing, he's not, he's not talking about nature, human body. You know, the sun coming up every day. He's in this. Ge- he's in this generation. He's talking about an iPhone. The proof of Hashem is an iPhone. I hope. I hope not, because then I don't believe in Hashem. Because I have a flip phone, I'm in trouble. I'm an apikairis. Anyone who has a flip phone is an apikairis. A guy with an iPhone, he's a yeah. Okay. Anyway. Has a what? Has WhatsApp on a flip phone. I don't know how he does it. I don't know. I don't know. Not, not on mine. Okay. Anyway, so I always feel that anything that happens the day of the year, definitely on the way to this year, um, someone out there who's watching needs to hear this. So this is what I told her. I said, let's take the first question. How do you know there's a creator? Okay. So I happen to have done this in Ornava about a year ago, but I didn't do it here. And I think it's very, very, very important. Let's talk logic, okay? Let's talk logic. So I'm very into I'm very into nature. Um, I'm into plants and food and and and, uh, and fruit and vegetables and all this other stuff. And um, I I find that a fruit store is a museum. A fruit store is not just a fruit store; it's a museum of Akashbokhu's creation. A flower store, not just a flower store; it's a museum of of God's creations. So I said to the I said this to the following I said this to this girl and I did this in Ornava and it's really I I, I got amazing reaction to it and um, actually some people didn't believe in Hashem it they they believed in Hashem after this year so guys listen to very carefully to what I'm about to tell you so you have I came to Ornava and I brought flowers fruits and vegetables and spices about ten different kinds of spices nutmeg paprika pepper, cinnamon, sweet stuff, sour stuff, bitter stuff, mustard powder, all these different tastes that you go out to eat that you have. So I said the following. Outside my house, many years ago, I planted mint. 
mint leaves so that I can make tea, mint tea leaves, and, I, and lemongrass, it's another plant. When you squeeze that, when you squeeze the mint thing and you smell it, you have to make a berry, it's paper something, it's a very strong mint smell. When you squeeze the lemon um, leaf, it smells mamish like lemon, it's, it's lemon tea. Very peculiar because they're, they're planted, the way I planted them, they're right next to each other, like mamish on top of each other. They grow within each other. And, but I know the difference because they're a different flower, a different look. How is it possible? How is it possible? The earth is brown. Doesn't really have a, it has a little bit of, you can smell earth, it has a certain earthy smell. Um, it's brown. It doesn't really have a taste. It tastes like dirt. It doesn't really have a taste. Um, how is it possible that the four elements that make something grow are water has no taste, no smell, and it's clear. Air has no taste, no smell, and it's clear. The sun has no taste, no smell, and it's actually not yellow. It's white. It's just yellow because you see it from far away. Okay? So it's white. So the four elements, the earth is brown. How do you get a red rose from something that's brown, not red, clear water, clear air, and a white sun? How does the red get onto the leaf of the rose? Or the yellow or the yellow or the the orange of a, of a, what's it called? What's that flower called? Um, no, no, the orange is a... Uh, uh, no, it's not... No, 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 it's a weird flower. No, no. When you go to a store, it's very expensive. Um, I forgot the name of it, whatever. But anyway, so where does the color come from? Where does the smell of a rose come from? The earth doesn't smell like that. Air has no smell, water has no smell, the sun has no smell. Where does the smell come from? I have two plants next to each other coming from the same earth that has no smell, and one has a mint smell, and, and one has a lemon smell, and they're coming from a place that has no smell. That was just the flowers. Then I did the fruits, forget it. But why does a banana have such a weird shape? The earth has no shape, it's not a shape. The water has no shape, the air has no shape, the sun has no shape. So how do you get a banana shape? And then you have the red of a watermelon. None of those things have that color. Or the green of lettuce. Or you walk, walk into, a, walk into a, a, a fruit store and tell me which fruit has the color of air or water, right, is clear, or the sun, or, or the earth. And then you have millions of, of different sizes. String beans is a string bean, right? A tomato is red. Where does that red come from? Earth doesn't have red in it, right? The cucumber is green. Where did the green come from? None of the four things they said, right? So when you start to look at this, and then I gave them the spices to put out, right? The smell of easy spice. The earth doesn't have a, sp- a spice smell. And the water and the air and the sun don't have it. doesn't have any smell. So what's going on here? And this is every day. You guys eat and you smell. You don't smell, but you smell things, right? And where does it come from? Do you ever think about it? And I have this whole room full of 25, 22, 25 year old girls who have been in school forever. And I'm like asking this question as I'm asking you boys, where does the smoke come from if the four elements that it grows from, water, air, sun, and earth, don't have any smell or any taste or any color? And they're all sitting there. Some of them have master's degrees in psychology and master's degrees in OT and in PT and they went to college and I'm like, 
a basic question. And the answer is that's the Sheshes Yamim of Bria. When Hashem created the world, He created the seed of a tomato and He put the DNA, we know now that vegetables and everything has a DNA in it, He put the DNA that this will grow red, round, taste this way, and He did this to all this stuff. But Hashem only created in the six days. But now, it's not good enough to create because once you pick that tomato that was created, there's no more tomatoes. So he put the DNA and he also did something amazing in each one of these things, flowers, vegetables, fruits, he put a seed of the same thing so that it can continue to grow. An apple tree, you can count the apples, but you can't count the apple seeds, right? And then Hashem said, but I need the stuff to keep growing. So I'm going to Give, I'm going to put four elements in the world that are going to be there forever, which is the sun and the water, the air, and the earth. It's going to be there forever. And therefore, on the day that I created, that I, and what did he create? He created, the air was here already. He created the water. I mean, he split the water. The water was here also. He created the sun, right? And, 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 the, earth, and the earth. The earth was also here. It was underneath the water. He separated. He did what he had to do. So I said to this girl, I said, you have to admit that the four things that keep things growing have nothing to do with what's growing. Because they have color and they have taste and they have smell and the four things don't have that. So therefore, if there's a creation, there has to be a creator. If I go past an apartment building and I tell you, it's amazing. Yesterday there was nothing here. Just just happened. You'd say, Rabbi Wallace, what are you smoking? That building went up, and there were architects, and there were construction, and there was concrete, and there was steel. And nothing just comes from nothing. Only a fool thinks that nothing comes from nothing. So the question is, and I asked this girl, I'm like, do you not want to believe in a creator? Is your lifestyle something that the creator would not be happy with? And therefore... It's, it's not, it's, it's just an excuse. It's not really that you don't believe in Hashem, but you have to get rid of Hashem. So if you get rid of Hashem, then, um, then you can do whatever you want. She said, no, no, I am really, I am really interested. I am really want to learn. This girl called me. She said, she went to some rabbi and she asked him this question and he said, you, you might as well be a Christian or something. It just blew her away and that did not, did not work for her. So someone told her to call me, whatever it is. So, the Medrash always says, the guy went into the desert and he saw a palace, and he said, if there's a palace, there has to be someone who lives in the palace, who created the palace. She said, okay, I hear you. It makes sense what you're saying. I said another thing that I heard, I heard many years ago, I never even repeated this on a shir. So, I was listening to someone who was talking to these atheists, whatever it was. I don't remember what rabbi it was. It wasn't Mizrahi, it was someone else, whatever. And they were talking about, and, and so the, he said it's fascinating that the earth and all the planets, they're in the middle of the air, and they're not connected to what's holding them up, what's holding the earth up. Why is it in the same space since, crea- since the beginning? Because it spins at a very high speed, and because it spins, it doesn't move. So they, so they, uh, no, so that's the godless side. As much as it's spinning, you're not dizzy. That's the godless side. There's a lot of godless in, in creation, your mama can see Hashem. And, and, and so he asked, he said, if you have a ball that's spinning on a table, this rabbi said, right? Someone had to start the first spin. 
In other words, if I told you that the ball's spinning, and I told you, like, well, the ball was just standing, then all of a sudden it just started spinning, you'd say, Rabbi, sorry, I don't believe that, because the ball doesn't just start spinning. So I want it to spin it. So scientists, even you're telling me, it's not, it's not, not a miracle that the earth is, 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 but it's spinning, and that's what, but, okay, who spun it? Who did the first spin? There has to be a beginning. Beratius, Bara Elohim. It has to be a beginning. Someone spun it. Then it kept spinning. So, it was just an interesting thought. So, I said, so she said, okay, I hear you. Nobody ever told me that answer. I like it. I want to talk to you more. I said, no problem. We'll talk more about it. She said, but how do you know how Hashem gave the Torah? And then she had a third question. And the third question was, prophecy. I don't know where this came from. That prophecy could just like happen. She was trying to say that you don't have to have a creator that maybe who the person, oh, I'll tell you what she told me about prophecy. So I said to her, there's a, there's a, um, that God knew this was going to happen. God knew that people are going to not believe. And he really wants you to have, he wants you to have a muna. Because if you see something for sure, you see something for sure, then it's not that, it's not that you, it's not that you believe. It's not that you believe. You saw it. If I tell you right now that outside the sun came up, and you're like, right, well, we're with you, man. We're going to put, you put your sunglasses on. You put your sunglasses on in the classroom. And I'm like, why are you putting your sunglasses on? Rebbe, you said the sun's out. It's not, I don't care what time it says. It's the sun's out. Right? That means you believe. But if I take you outside and tell you, it's, and, 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 and show you that it's dark, you don't believe me. You saw it yourself. So, so, the, so I don't like to say what I'm about to say because it takes away your imuna. But, but for someone who doesn't believe that God gave us the Torah. So there's many people that get up and talk about this. Well, the, the other religions, there was one person who woke up in the morning and said I had a dream and whatever it is. But we were 600,000 at the... And I tried that answer because that's the answer that Aish gives. Um, there was, was 600,000. Muhammad was one. Yashka was one. There were 600,000. So I, I, I tried that, and the girls that I, my, my high school I was talking to many years ago, they said, yeah, how do you know that? How do you, you have a video, Rabbi? Show us a video of 600,000 Jews at Harv Sinai. I said, it's a Masorah that they gave over, over, and over, and over. So they hit me with a bomb. They said, so, so Rabbi Walsing, there's, there's, there's 3 million Christians and, I don't know, 5 million Muslims. Um, it's, Christianity started a long time ago, thousands of years ago. And, and Islam started a thousand years ago, and they still believe in it. Why? Masorah. So those religions are also based on Masorah. Not as far back as ours, but they're still Christians because Masorah. Because one father told the other father, there's a Yashka, the other one told there's a Muhammad. So we're not, we're not, we're not into the Masorah business. So, so how do you know, Rabbi Wallstein? Do you have a video of our Sinai? Uh, you can watch the Ten Commandments with, what's his name, Charlton Heston, but I don't think that's Messiah. That's not, that's not real. It's a movie from California. You know, it's a movie made in Hollywood called The Ten Commandments, but that ain't, that's not what we're talking about. And you're not allowed to watch that movie because then you think, when, you, when you read in the Chumash Moshe Rabbeinu, you're thinking Charlton Heston. It's not a good thing, right? And then, and then Cleopatra, the whole whatever. It's, it's not, that's not the Torah. It's Hollywood. So, 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 so I got blown away with that. I didn't have an answer for that. They're like, if you could show me, a, if you could show me a video of the six hundred thousand Jews at the Harsina, then I believe you, Rabbi Wallstein. Otherwise, I don't believe you. I'm, I'm not a believer. It's not that I, I'm a believer. I'm telling you, I'm not a believer. So I shouldn't do this. 
He put two little things in the Torah. One in Torah Shabbat Peh and one in Torah Shabbat just to let you know that God wrote the Torah, not Moshe Rabbeinu and not anyone else. What did he write? In Pasha Shmini, the Pasuk says that there's only one animal in the world that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cud, the pig. That's it. One. Not two. Not one and a half. One. Now, if I'm writing a book to get you to believe, I'm never going to write a detail in the book that can be proven later false. I'm just going to leave those details out because I want you to believe my book. So whoever wrote the Torah and wrote the detail that there is no animal in the world that has split hooves that doesn't do its cut, only a pig, knew for sure that it'll never be disproved. Now Moshe Rabbeinu lived in the Middle East. He didn't know what animals were in the Amazon. He didn't know what animals were in South America, in the Galapagos, in, in North America. In, he didn't. How could he know? He lives in the Middle East, right? Even if he was a zoologist, because if tomorrow they bring an animal and they show here is an animal, it's not in the family of the pig, and it has split hooves and doesn't chew its cud, this whole book is not true. Forget it, because if you could prove one detail in this book that's not true. The whole say, the whole chumash is not true. So whoever wrote that statement knew for sure that it could never be disproved. Who could write such a statement? Only God, because God created every animal, and He didn't create an animal with split hooves that doesn't do its cut except for the pig. So it had to be written by God. He snuck it in Pashashmini in one little pasuk. It had to be written by God. It cannot be. And if you could disprove it, and you have another animal, it's too talking to the whole system. This whole thing is made up. And it will never be disproven. And the interesting thing, if I remember correctly, and whoever's watching, if I'm wrong, you can send me an email. There's a Gemara somewhere that says that when Mashiach comes, when Mashiach comes, the pig will chew its cut and become a kosher animal. There's such a Gemara. If it's not true, whoever's watching, let me know. But from what I, I learned, I remember, my Rebbe said that, that when Mashiach comes, the pig will chew its cut and become kosher. Why? Why? The ostrich is going to become kosher? The horse is going to become kosher? The eagle is going to become kosher? The lion is going to become kosher? No! Why is the pig becoming kosher? So in my thought is because the pig proves God. The pig proves that Hashem created the world. So yeah, the pig has to, has to be treif because he's the proof that there's only one. When Mashiach comes, we don't need any more proofs. That's my answer. The rabbi didn't say that. The, all I remember is that he said that the pig will chew its cut and become kosher. So I'm thinking, why that animal? Why all the animals? Why that animal? Because that animal was a representation to prove that God created the world. Whoever heard that before, please let me know. Okay? Send an email to rzw at ornava.com, O-H-R-N-A-A-V-A.com. It'll take me a while. I get it in the office. I don't get it on my phone. My phone doesn't have email. Okay, now is where she came and asked me the third question. She said she can only ask me two questions. She asked me the third question. What did she ask me? She said, maybe the Torah and the knowledge of only a pig has split hooves and doesn't chew its cud, came from a prophet. 
a navi, a prophet, got prophecy that there is no such other animal. And then he wrote this. Moshe was a prophet. So I said, Where's, where did the prophecy come from? If it's a prophecy, a prophecy then it's not just a thought. Because a thought is not... No one's going to write something like this on a thought because you could, be, you could be a million percent wrong. If I think that the pig is the only animal, but oh my God, I don't know, any, I don't know South America. Maybe they're going to find one. So for me to write this, I'd have to be a prophet that I got a prophecy who, that the pig is the only animal. I said, but where'd the prophecy come from? Prophet spirituality has to come from Hashem. If it's your thought, you could be wrong. The only reason that a prophecy can't be wrong if it's the, is the truth is because it comes from Hashem. So I said, you just told me if it's a, it's a prophecy, if it's a prophecy, then you do believe in Hashem. Just the opposite. So that went out the window. Now, this was not my subject tonight. I'm supposed to talk about Pasha's toldos. But this is what happened on the way here. What about the Rabbanon? Okay, Torah Shavik is true. Torah Shavik is not true. Chas she's asking me. So I said, interesting, in the Gemara, it says another fact, which if you could prove me wrong, then the whole, time, then the whole Torah Shavik goes out the window. It says that you will never find a fish that has scales and doesn't have fins. Now, you can, the person was like, oh, Moshe Benu, he had binoculars, telescopes, and he was searching all the forests and Amazon and all over the place, and he didn't see that animal, so he wrote in the Torah. I'm like, yeah, but how could you write in the Torah that the fish, you, you, you don't know what the fish look like under the ocean. There are billions and millions of different species of fish, and nobody could see underneath the ocean. So who could, write, who could make a statement that there is no fish in existence that has scales and no fins? That one day you won't put your net in the water and some weird fish is going to come out with scales and no fins. Well, guess what? If a fish comes out with scales and no fins, we're going to Burger King for our cheeseburgers. And the whole Torah is not true. And that's even a bigger step because that you can't even see. Until this day, no fish has ever showed up in the world with scales and no fins. So, don't like to go there because once you see these proofs, well, okay, now I believe in Hashem because hey, nobody, uh, there's no pig and there's no fish. and uh, That's not a Muna. That's proofs. So we don't like to go there because there has to be a... There has to be a Muna. A Muna, a Muna is an interesting word. A Muna, a Muna is... The, the real translation of a Muna is surrender. That's what a Muna means. A Muna means that, that um, I don't understand. I understand that I don't understand. And I also understand that I'm just a human being and I only have a certain amount of understanding. So I trust you, Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu asked Hashem, Tzadik Varalai, I understand everything. I don't understand why good people suffer. It's really a good question. It's the hardest question to answer. Good people, Tzadikim, they die young. I, I just read tonight, I didn't even know that um, Rav Nachman in Breslov died when he was 38 years old. I didn't know that. I know the, I know the Arizal died when he was 40. Imagine if these people would have lived till they were 90. Right? So we don't know. We don't understand. We don't understand a lot of things. But the moon it means I know that I don't understand. I, I, you're, there's a much greater, you know, I, I was just telling this girl that, and that's what the end, that's why I was late, that I'm on a plane. I'm on a plane. I'm going to, I'm going to Florida on JetBlue. Right? 
I have no idea how this piece of metal that weighs 500 or 1,000 or 10,000 tons of steel metal can get, can go down a runway and end up at 40,000 feet. 40,000 feet off the ground. Do I understand how a plane, does anyone in this, in this room fit, do physics, aeronautics, physics? None of you did. But you jump on a plane and you sit down, you're going to Israel 10 hours, you're going to Dubai 19 hours. How are you getting on the plane? Why don't you ask questions? Why don't you ask questions? Why are you getting on a plane? The thing weighs a million tons. How's that going to get into the air? My car can't get into the air. Why don't you ask questions? For a simple reason. You trust the airline. You trust the pilot. You trust. So I'm not asking any questions. I'm not going to college for five years, aeronautics and physics, before I get on a plane. Nobody says that. Nobody says that. Oh, so you're going to ask a question, but you see it flying. That's your answer to me. In other words, you're right, right? Well, I I get on a plane, right? I see it flying. So I see it flies, I get on a plane. But do you understand how the plane works? No. Did you take physics? No. So you see that it flies, and you trust the people who are flying, and you trust, because if there's one screw loose, that plane's going to, at 40,000 feet, it's going to blow up. You, 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 there's a lot of people you trust. You trust the pilot, you trust the co-pilot, you trust the guys that put the gas in, that they didn't forget to put the gas in. You, you trust the guys that check the whole plane after it lands. You trust a lot of people, right? But the answer that people give me is, yeah, but I see that it flies. I don't see Hashem. And my answer to them is, because you don't know where to look for Hashem. Look at the plant, look at the spices, look at the color, look at the vegetables, look at the fruit, look at his bria, and you'll see Hashem and everything that he's flying. There's a, I haven't said this in a long time, very interesting. I, I was telling this girl that I asked a lot of questions as a kid. So I'm not going to get into the butterfly cat, but I had a very famous, very, my first question, I remember in, it was eighth grade, not seventh grade. I lived in Muncie, and, and, and I went to Yeshiva Spring Valley, and next to the Yeshiva, there was a field. And in the springtime, it was full of caterpillars. I still, I still ask Hashem for forgiveness, because I used to take my magnifying glass, and I used to pop them. And ants, yeah. When you make the magnifying glass very sharp, it burns the leaves. Yeah. Right? Well, I used to, right, so I used to do that to the caterpillars and the ants. I hope they don't take revenge after 120. Right? I was a kid. What do I know? I used to watch them burn. Never. Okay? So, so I, I did tshuva. I, I, there was no reason for me to do that. But I did it. Anyway. So I saw these caterpillars. And, and then, you know, you saw these cocoons in the trees. And, and then after like a month, there were butterflies. Uh, monarch butterflies, actually. Beautiful butterflies flying all over those fields. And I, I, I went to my Rebbe. I'll never forget it. It was an old Holocaust survivor Rebbe. And I said to him, can I ask you a question? She, yeah. I said, why did Hashem do this? He ran out of time. Like, like cats don't metamorphosize into lions. Why didn't he just create a butterfly and a caterpillar? Why does the caterpillar have to become the butterfly? Like, did he run out of time? Oh, no more time. Okay, caterpillar will make like metamorphosis. Two brias, make two separate brias. Not allowed to ask questions on Hashem. Threw the book at me. Now, last question on the Shem. It was a simple question. So, being the mind that I had, I was like, okay, Rabbi doesn't want to answer. Really, I don't understand the whole metamorphosis. So, at that time, there was no Google, no Google. Um, but anyway, um, that whole group, um, anti everything that we stand for. But 
I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of... Yeah, Google's going to call me up tonight. But you see, Google, you can't do anything to me because I don't got you. Anyway, so um, you had to get an encyclopedia. So I went to Finkelstein Memorial Library in Muncie, and I got an Encyclopedia Britannica, which is like, those days were like the expensive one, had pictures. And I studied the butterfly. And it talks about the caterpillar, and he goes up the tree, and he goes into the cocoon, and um, after he goes into the cocoon, he, um, the cocoon closes, it's pretty humid in there, pretty hot in there, and um, he dies, he dies, and his belly opens up, and he dries up, and um, he becomes a chrysalis. He becomes a chrysalis. Chrysalis is a powder. He dries up. He dries up, becomes a chrysalis, which is a powder, and from that powder comes the most beautiful insect in the world. 30 days later, cocoon opens up, out comes a beautiful insect. Like, I'm like, why did Hashem have to do this? The poor thing suffers. And when I started Ornava, that's why Ornava has a butterfly, then everyone copied it, but some designers started with the, with the butterflies. But when I opened Ornava, the, girl, the first share that I gave, we told, I was telling them, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that, whatever it is. And they're like, it's a struggle, it's a struggle. And I'm like, you know, the most beautiful insect in the world goes through the worst struggle. And my brain out of the box as, as a kid was like, you know, you got all these caterpillars at the bottom of the tree, these fat, lazy things that are mulching on grass and leaves. That's all they do. If you watch them, they just eat and eat. And they get fatter and fuzzier. And they have 11 sets of feet, whatever it is. And then there's this, like you, this one guy, this one caterpillar says, Listen, this can't be what life's about. Just sitting on the bottom of a tree, chilling, like the kids in the 18th Street, 18th, East 18th Street Park till 4 o'clock in the morning. It's got to be more than that. It's, it, you just can't sit there every night at, at Dr. Pete's over there and just sit outside and talk and talk and talk and talk and kill time and do nothing and then go to sleep till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. This one caterpillar, he didn't want to do that. He didn't belong to that party. So he's like, hey, guys, there's got to be more to life than just being a pothead or being a leafhead at the bottom of a tree. So I heard a rumor that if you go up the tree, there's a room. Guys, you know what happens if you go into that room? You come out with wings. You can fly. You don't give me no fat guy at the bottom of a tree that goes one mile an hour. You can fly. And they're like, what are you smoking, boy? Why, you can't fly. You're a fat fuzzy little caterpillar. You cannot fly. Like some of you watching, your teacher told you that you're stupid. You're never going to be anything, Wallerstein. You're just a sewer rat. Like you're a nobody. You're just, you know, D's and F's and U's. U's are unbelievable and F's were fantastic. That's what I tried to get away with. Didn't fly. It didn't fly. But anyway, you know, you're going nowhere. And you're like, I don't know. There's got to be something more to life than this. So the one kid who's like, I don't want to be a pothead. I don't want to sit all day and do nothing. I'm going to take a chance. I want to get wings, man. I want to fly. They're like, loser. You don't want to hang out with us, loser. You want to go to Oyetsuka and learn at night? What are you, stupid? Go to the park, smoke up. Go to Oyetsuka, you sit inside there and learn for an hour and a half, and then down my with a minion? Loser. So this one caterpillar says, I'm not a loser, I'm going to try, what do I have to lose? And it's very lonely when you want to change. It's very lonely when you want to leave your fuzzy, fat, little caterpillar friends. Because they're all pointing at you like you're stupid. 
And you go climb up that tree, and, and you're like, I know there's got to be more to it. And there's the cocoon. Yeah. I knew it! Whatever professor, whatever rabbi was telling us that there's a place in spirituality of growth that you could go, right? It's true, there's a cocoon! So he, gets into, he goes into the cocoon. And if you can, you can look this up, this is exactly what happens. Caterpillar goes into the cocoon one at a time, no two. No two to a cocoon. Goes into the cocoon, and the cocoon closes. This poor guy who thought he's going somewhere where he's going to get wings, and it's going to be like lights and, 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 and music and action, and he's going to get wings, and he's going to fly, and his friends were right. It's a, he's a sucker. It's a trap. He's in a dark, hot, humid room, and he's dying. And he's like, you know what? I should have just been a pothead. They were right. There's nothing on the other side of this life. And he dies. He dies. And he dries up. And he becomes a powder. And you got to think when this thing's dying, he's like, oh my God, I should have just hung out with my buddies. And then 30 days later, the cocoon opens on the bottom. I had one in my office. You can buy one. It's fascinating. The cocoon opens and the, the butterfly has to push his way out because the liquid, the liquid in the body of the butterfly is in the lava. It's in the middle part of it. And when it squeezes its way out of the bottom of the cocoon, the liquid gets pushed from the middle of it into the wingspan. And if you, and it has a warning on it. You buy it. It's a warning. Do not open cocoon. Do not help. So you see the bottom of the butterfly pushing. You want to, you know, like, like a cow giving birth. You want to, if you, it falls to the floor and it splatters because it never went into the wingspan. You just got to sit there and watch it suffer. I'm not, that's a different story. One day we'll talk about that. Anyway, so, so this butterfly now, he's a butterfly. The problem is, guys, that the butterfly doesn't see his wings because the wings are behind his head. So he, he comes out of this cocoon into a new world because he was dead. He came back. And his friends are all at the bottom, 20 feet below him, still smoking pot and having a good time. And he's on top of this, this tree, and he looks down, because he can't see behind him. He looks down, and he's got two little feet. I don't know if you ever saw a butterfly's feet. They're like two little twiggies. This was a guy who had 22 fat feet. He now has two little feet. And he's like, oh my God, what happened to my legs? Like, what kind of trip was this? I'm supposed to have, I'm supposed to have wings and fly? What kind of trip was this? They put me in a dark room, then they killed me, then they squashed me, then I had to squeeze myself out of this, and now I got two little feet. And he's standing up there, and he's very scared, because he can't walk down with those feet, 20 feet, down the tree. And and what is his friend going to say? Oh, look at you. You lost all your legs, Twiggy. He doesn't want to be made fun of. Along comes another butterfly. Says, hey, Hey, brother, what are you, what, what's going on? He goes, what you, what's going on? Look what happened to me. He goes, nothing happened to you. You got wings. What do you mean wings? I don't see my wings. Those are the kids who don't see their potential. This whole thing is a muscle. See their potential. The Rebbe's telling me, you're amazing, you're fantastic, you can do anything you want. You just have to try. And you're like, what are you, ta- what are you talking about? I got, I got two little twiggies. I got nothing. I, I don't have wings. And he's like, 
You see what I have under my back? I have wings. You also have wings. Those little feet, you don't need them much anymore. Because you know why you don't need big feet? Because you're not crawling on the floor anymore. You're flying in the air. And probably the scariest moment for the butterfly is its... And there is a poem written about it called The Butterfly's First Flight. And you have to understand that it was a... It was its whole life, it was a... A caterpillar, so it doesn't understand what it means to fly. And, and that when you first leave your pothead friends and your, your girlfriends and all that other garbage and you go to yeshiva and you start learning and you start growing, it's very scary. It's very scary. And you need someone to show you the way. And this other butterfly says, you gotta jump off the leaf because you can't fly when you're sitting on a leaf. You've got to jump off the leaf. He said, but if I jump off the leaf, I'm going to crash. He goes, you're not going to crash. You've got wings. And I have no question that the scariest moment of that butterfly's life is when it jumps off that leaf. But at the same time, boys, the scariest moment is jumping off the leaf. The best moment is the first time it takes flight. When something can only crawl and now it's able to fly, there's nothing like it in the world. Beautiful story. Great muscle, Rabbi. It's a Zoyar. It's a Zoyar, which my 8th grade Rebbe did not know, which I came across 40 years later. 35 years later. You know what the Zoyar says? Why did Hashem create the Popeye? Here's the same question. Why did Hashem create the butterfly? Why didn't you just create a butterfly? And, a, and, 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 and a, what's it called? Why do, you, why, do you, why, do you, why do you go caterpillar butterfly? He asked the same question. Create a caterpillar, create a butterfly. And he says something amazing. He says, Papa Raya, the Tchias HaMesim. That a person, when you read about Tchias HaMesim, and it says that from bones, when Mashiach comes, the is going to take bones and he's going to put sinews on it and muscle and veins and blood and skin and create another human being. You're like, what are you talking about? It's a bone. It's in the earth. It's dust. Hashem says, I do it every day. I take a caterpillar. I kill it. It dies. It becomes a chrysalis, a powder. And it has tears every day. From nothing, from a powder. No veins, no life, no heart, no nothing, no eyes, no nothing. I create the most beautiful insect in the world. From powder. Says the Zoya, Raya The reason Hashem created metamorphosis, and he didn't do it for anything else. A lion, a cat doesn't become a lion, a dog doesn't become a wolf. He didn't do it, he didn't do it for anything else. Is that metamorphosis is a proof to triasamesim. And sometimes you have to suffer, guys, to get your wings. But that flight is amazing. She says a person, a person when they die, so their whole life, they're in a, they're in a cocoon. And Tzadik Varalo, it looks like. It looks like the Tzadik is suffering. The scariest moment of a person's life is when he dies. But at the same time, if he did what he was supposed to, it is the greatest moment. And it's brought down in Kabbalah that every person when he dies, he sees the Shekhinah if he deserves it. So at the same time as the butterfly's scariest moment is it has to jump off that twig and it never flew before, the neshama that's on this world, 
the scariest moment is when it leaves the goof. At the same time, the greatest moment is when it leaves the goof. Because it goes to the next world and it sees the Shekhinah. It's, everything is in creation. It's all a lesson to all of us. You just need to look like, this was my answer to the girl. You're telling me that yes, a plane, you're right, I get on a plane, I don't know physics, I don't know how something that weighs 100,000 tons flies in the air, but Rabbi, I, Rabbi, I see, it's not only that I trust, this was her question, it's not only that I trust the pilot and the engineers and the stewardesses and the guy and everyone else and the airline and JetBlue, it's not only I trust them, I see it for myself. So my, I don't see Hashem. I'm like, it's because you don't know where to look for Hashem. He's in every part of our Bria. He's in every person's body. He's in, he's in the godless of, of what he created, so you don't know how to look for him. And the Amuna is, when you get on a plane, even though I don't understand how it flies, I trust the people who are flying it. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even though I don't understand Tzadik Baraloi, I don't understand how you run your world. You're a being way above my, that, anything that my brain could even understand. But I trust you. Because I know that you created the world. You're JetBlue. You're the pilot. You're the stewardess. You're the guy who puts the gas in. You're the guy who makes sure that every screw is tight, that not one screw came out. You're the one that does this all. And therefore, I get into my seat and I go to Israel, and it takes me 12, 10 hours or 12 hours, and I'm 40,000 feet above the ground. One screw is loose, we're done. You're in an aluminum can in one second. There's no oxygen, you're done. The amount of trust you give when you get on a plane, that's not going to crash, that there's not going to be an oxygen break, that, that a bird's not going to get caught into the, into the thing, and you're not going to be in a fire and all this other stuff. The amount of trust without understanding anything about physics... The answer is, I trust, I, I trust them. So there's a, a Kurdish Baruch who is much bigger than the pilot that's on the plane. And sometimes we find out the guy was drugged, he didn't sleep enough, he drank, all kinds of stuff. That's a Muna. And Muna is that, no, I don't understand it. I don't, I never took physics. I, I don't, I, I never went to a professor in physics. But you know what? But I trust that Kurdish Baruch Now, I went way off subject, because I really want to talk what Pasha's told us, but since we're off subject, and this is, this is mamish what happened, on my way here. This is the discussion that I had with this girl on the way here, and I don't even know her. How much time am I speaking? Where are we up to? 40 minutes. 40 minutes. So let me tell you another thing that I told her. People think Hashem doesn't have Rachmanis on us, and going through COVID, and we're going through this, and we're going through that. I said another little thing about nature. So I lived in Muncie. There's something called the firefly. This little fly in the summer, in the spring summer, it flies around and the back side of it lights up like a light bulb. So as a kid, they should be me the fireflies. I caught them. They're like little flies. And I put them in my jar at night. And I turned off my light in my room. It was so cool. And they're flying all in the jar. It's like, like little, it was very cool. Fireflies. They didn't call them fireflies in those days. They called them different. They had a different weird name for them, whatever. So as a child, as a kid, I wondered like, why would Hashem light up the backside of a little bu- of a little of a, of, a, of a bug? Like like, if He did that, He should do that to mosquitoes. So in the middle of the night, we know exactly where they are. And we can whack them, right? Or a fly, but why a firefly? Like, and how does that work? Does it like plug in during the day? Does it have a battery? Like, 
how come so many people grow up with this stuff and they don't ask? They see fireflies and they don't ask. They see butterflies and they don't ask. I ask, what's the deal with this bug? Pleiadic. Look it up. Pleiadic. So, bugs eat bugs at night. Interesting. You can look this up. It's not Robert Wallerstein. That they, they're, and they're like fish. They, they don't eat head on. They eat from the back. So like the big fly is after like a little mosquito. He'll get the mosquito. He's not going to go head on. He'll get the mosquito from back. Choom. And just like the way Hashem created the world, the big eat the smaller, like in the forest, like in the, in the jungles in Africa, that's what bugs do. Big bugs eat little bugs, we eat little bugs, we eat little bugs, we eat little bugs, we eat little bugs. The big bug gets the next bug. That's, that's how it works. The, the firefly has chlorophyll, some type of green blood, which is disgusting. So the bug that would eat the firefly would spit them out. He will not eat them. Because it's a disgusting, even for bugs, it, its blood is not like a fly or any other insect. It has green blood. It has this chlorophyll in it. Now, the reason that bugs eat bugs is so the, the bigger they are, they need to eat. So it's for existence of the species. And therefore, there's a reason that Hashem did that. But the firefly if it's going to be eaten from the back and then spit out, so it was killed for nothing. It's not being eaten. The other bug is not getting any nutrients from it because it's going to spit it out, which means that the killing of the firefly by the other bug would be for naught, would be for nothing. The, the other bug would get nothing out of it. So Kosh created, Kosh came up with this amazing thing that a bug's going to light up. Like Hashem created a bug that lights up. That, that bugs me out. Haha, ha, but it bugs me out. That a bug lights up. It's not normal. Bug that lights up? What? No. No, it's a reaction. No, there's no fire in there. You can't light a fire from a firefly. No. So there's two reasons. So, the, so, so if, you, if you look at the science, the first reason they give is that in the creation of the insects of one eating the other one for, for continuation of the species, the firefly tells everyone, don't bite me because you're not going to eat me. You're, you're killing me for no reason. So they don't eat fireflies. Bugs don't eat fireflies. So if it didn't have that light, it would know that it's a firefly. It would just eat it and then spit it out. So it's saying, I am a firefly. I have green blood, chlorophyll. Don't eat me for nothing. Hashem said, I'm going to give you a light in, your, in the back to tell in the back because listen carefully because it was in the front the bug that's eating it wouldn't see it because they don't eat it by the head they eat it by the tail so Kurt Buckle didn't give him headlights he gave him tail lights you're laughing but it's amazing and I'm telling you this girl I'm like you don't believe in God he's worried about a firefly so he put a whole light system in the back and you think he's not worried about you his creation, that he took his own neshama and blew it into your body? You think he doesn't care about you? He cares about a firefly? And he put the tail light on because he put it in the front, then it would be eaten for nothing. And, just to be very fair, it also signals that the bug wants to mate. It writes both answers. So that fire has more fire than, but it's not fire, it's not really fire. It's a crazy, it's a crazy 
reaction. And, and, and we're talking about bugs. We're not talking about human beings. Forget about going into the human body and the millions of... I just, I was taking an antibiotic. I was taking an antibiotic, a very strong antibiotic. They had an infection. And it can really mess up with your, your stomach and your bowels and your intestines and everything else. So you take probiotics, or what is it called? Um, probiotics? Probiotics. Probiotics. Probiotics are bacteria that lives in your gut, in your intestine. Okay, I go to the, I go to the pharmacy and I'm like, I'm taking this very strong antibiotic. I need probiotics. What do you got? He goes, you want the strongest one? I'm like, yeah. So he gives it to me. I look at the bottle and it says 16 billion. 16 billion. I'm like, 16 billion bacteria? 16 billion? That million? Billion. I'm like, what? You want me to put one of those in my body? He goes, are you kidding me? You got a lot more than 16 billion in your intestines. I'm like, in your gut. I'm like, what? He says, yeah, but they, they do good for you. They need to be there. When you take the antibiotics, you're killing them. So that's not good for you. Does anyone here know that you have billions, not millions, billions of bacteria in your gut to protect the rest of your body? Do you know what's going on in this body? A body is like a whole island. It's like a whole world. It's like not normal. Not normal. That's a Kushbukhari. I'm going down to the butterfly, to the firefly. So I explained to this girl, you're looking for God? You're looking for God? You don't know if he exists? You think that just happened? And I ended my little speech. Baruch Hashem, she said, Rabbi, I'm in my 20s and you're the first guy that ever answered my questions. And I said, I want to end, and I'll, I'll end tonight. And I don't know who needs to watch this, but I was going to talk about Toldos and, and my famous speech on Rivka and davening opposite each other. And I guess we'll have to give another share, maybe Matzah Shabbos. Maybe you'll come to my house. I'll give my Toldos share, Mitzvah Hashem. Because it's very important, very, very, it's about rationalization, about how people take the wrong thing and they make it right, which is what's happening in America now. The whole left, they're not saying we're bad. They're not saying we're doing evil, you know, to uh, to get rid of all the policemen that everyone, and, and let all the and all the, let all the bad people out. No, this is for equal rights. It, it's all the toiva. It's all the toiva. They don't think they're bad. They think they're big tzaddik and that that uh, they passed in California that late term abortion that a child can be nine. You can be nine months pregnant. The day you're in labor, you're in labor to have that child. And if you want an abortion, they will go in. You can't get. The, they will go in and cut the child into pieces and take it out piece by piece. It's legal in America. It's legal. The savages in the Amazon who eat people don't do that. How could you make that legal? And how? And in California, how do you make that legal? And the next chaver that's coming in wants to make it legal across America. Take a baby. It's about to be born, you're in labor, you're going to go in there, kill it, cut it into pieces and take it out. American law, legal, you can't stop it. So you're a shoyim. You're, you're murderers. Murderers. But if you're murderers and you know you're murderers, you can do tshuva. You can do tshuva. And Hashem will wait till you do tshuva. Why didn't Hashem wait by Sadaim? Why do you have to destroy Sadaim? What's the rush, God? What, what are you rushing? 
Maybe, maybe another hundred years they'll do tshuva. Hashem waited for a lot of other countries for a lot longer. Avram Avinu, you're the man. All the people you made in Haran, you were the biggest Baal tshuva guy. Why didn't Avram Avinu ever go to Sodom? Open a yeshiva. Open or Yitzchak. Open some, I don't know, some Kirib organization. Go after these crazy Sodomites. He didn't even try. He stood in his land and said, Hashem, is there 40, is there 50, is there 30, is there 20, is there 10? Get down there! Work on them! No. Why not? Because if you know you're doing something wrong, you can do tshuva. In Sedoim, they made murder, killing a mitzvah. And you know what? They had a pretty good point. They said like this, listen to this, they had a whole Torah. They said that if a person is sick and you heal him, we will hang you, we will kill you. Why? Why is the person sick? Because God made him sick. You, as a human, have a right to mess with what God wants? Yechayim Misa. Blasphemy. You're against Hashem. Someone's hungry, and you give them to eat? We're going to hang you. If God made someone hungry, you, as a human being, have a right to change that? We're going to hang you. Tyra. You make someone bleed? The person that bleeds has to pay you. Why? He helped you. Blood pressure go down. The mitzvah. They took the worst stuff. Hashem was patient. But when they took a girl who gave someone to eat, and they said, you want to be sweet? You want to be nice to people? They took her clothing off, and they put honey all over her body, put her under a hornet's nest, and she got bitten to death, and she was crying. Hashem heard the cries. Hashem said, these people, and they were all standing there that this was, they were doing this for Hashem. Because, because this girl did, went against Hashem. This guy was hungry and you gave him to eat. So they were doing it with Shem Mitzvah. Hashem said, these people will never do tshuva. This has to be wiped off the earth that nothing will ever grow there. Avraham Avinu came to Hashem. He said, one second. Maybe they really believe what they're saying. They're really doing it with Shem Shemayim. Like the Arabs who blow themselves up in the name of, of Allah, and they're going to go to heaven, and they're going to have 70 whatever, and they're going to, ah, right? It's a mitzvah. So those guys are never going to stop. It's a mitzvah to die, to kill other people. Avraham Avinu said to Hashem, Hashem Shepinkah says it, Avraham Avinu came to Hashem and said, maybe, these 50, maybe there are 50 people in Sodom that really believe in this Torah that they came up with, that you can't, you can't mess, if God made someone poor, then he has to stay poor. Are there 50 people in Sodom that really believe this? Shem said, no. Are there 40, are there 30, are there, are there 10? Shem said, there's no one there. So why are they doing it? He says, because they're murderers and rapers and torturers. But they want to make themselves feel good. So they rationalize. So they created their Torah to make it right after they were murderers. They backed into it. Those people never do tshuva. Wiped them off the face of the earth. The world was sinning adultery, murder. And Hashem did not destroy the world. Rashi says, people were stealing less than a shavah pruta, which you're not chayav for. Hashem said, gezela, less than a That's it. I'm destroying the world. What are you talking about? They were killing. They were committing adultery. They were, they were serving idols. You don't destroy the world. They're stealing a raisin. So a hundred guys would walk into a fruit store. Each guy would take a grape. The guy would say, pay me, I only took a grape, it's not worth anything. And that's how they would rip off the whole store, that's what they were doing. So Hashem said, these guys are never going to do tshuva, 
because they don't feel like they're doing anything wrong. Once they're not going to do tshuva, and then it says also in, in the in the medrash it talks about it says in Pashas Noach that men that the the men were writing like we have today they were getting married to men and they were writing ksuvas still Hashem didn't destroy the world but the bezdin I'll show it to you in the medrash the bezdin of the world paskind that you're allowed to marry a man's allowed to marry a man so once that happened it didn't become an it wasn't an avera. It was, it was, it was, it was okay to marry a man. Once Hashem saw that they made it into something good, Hashem said, people who rationalized, they never change. He destroyed the world for eating a grape. Because the other people knew I'm committing adultery, I'm a bad guy. I killed someone, I'm a bad guy. I'm serving with Israel, I'm a bad guy. Those guys, Hashem has time to wait for to do tshuva. The people in Sodom, they rationalized everything. Avram Avinu could not know though. Maybe they really believed it. So he asked Hashem, are there really tzaddikim there? Hashem said, no, they're murderers and killers. So in California, in these places, where they're, they're not saying we're killing a baby that's about to be born. They're saying the mother has a right. It's her body. And therefore, it's her right. So you're not doing anything wrong. You're doing something right because you're doing the mother's will. It's over, man. It's over. When the left and everything they're preaching, they're making all these terrible sins right, they're never going to do tshuva. It's over. It's the times of Mashiach. It's over. These people are not like, listen, we're Baltivas. We like to, you know, we like to party. We like to do bad stuff. We know we're bad. Well, okay, maybe one day we'll, we'll be good. No. They're like, in the name of the Lord, the Crusades chopped our heads off put us on crosses, put us on spikes, right? In the name of God. Forget it. We don't have a chance. The Inquisition, we're going to burn you alive at the stake with your children because we're bad? Because we're murderers? No! In the name of the Lord. In the name of God. Hashem had to destroy them. The Romans, the Greeks, the per- had to destroy them. Because those, per- those people never change. And that's very connected to the, to the Pasha that I wanted to speak about this week's Pasha because Rivka, do we have any time? It's an hour? We're at an hour? Huh? So, so this is this week's Pasha. So we'll, we'll squeeze it into this week's Pasha. It's very hard to understand. In the beginning of Pasha's told us what's going on over here. Listen to this. Yitzhak was 40 years old. When he took Rivka, the daughter of Rusuel, Harami, the low life. Aram, from the lowest city in the world. Harami. Her brother was the lowest guy. He was love on Lady Isha. Why is the Torah demeaning her? Just say, he was 40 years old. When he married Rivka. What did he just say? Her father was Basul. You know he was called Basul? Because he took the Basula from every girl. You weren't allowed to marry. A girl in his town was not allowed to marry a man unless she slept with him first. The lowest of the low, Basul. And he was an Arami. And Lovin was an Arami. And Padan Aram was the worst city. Why are you saying this? Why are you, why are you talking bad about Rivka? So you could say, well, she came from all this bad. Right? She came from all this bad. She was still at Sadegist. So we're learning good about her. I don't think it's worth 
saying all the bad about her to, to learn good about her, to say that she came from a bad place, her father was a bad guy, her, her brother was a bad guy. You would not want that on her resume. Now the Pasuk says, For some reason Yitzhak was davening opposite, which is an interesting word, right? It says two parts of the, of, of the roof, very hard to understand, but he seemed to be davening against her, because she was an Akara. Hashem listened to him, and she became pregnant. And then, but he told him when we care about the, he wanted to get out to church, he wanted to go out to shul, right? I said today when I gave my class, he, he wanted to go out at the shul, he wanted to go out to the Apple store and get a, get a smartphone, right? By the time he she said, what's going on with me? And that's a very interesting word. You're not going to, to be dorish with Hashem, you're going to find out what's going on in you. What's lidrish with Hashem? Sort of like testing, like, like finding out about Hashem, right? So I'm going to answer this all, all these questions with one answer. There was a very big argument between Yitzchak and Rivka. Yitzchak said the following. Hashem, I want to have a child. He's davening. I want to have a child. Oh, the biggest question. The biggest question is like this. This, this girl, this man and his wife, they didn't have kids for 10 years. They go to Chacham Yosef. Chacham Yosef says, what did the doctor say? The doctor said, you can't, we can't have children. Chacham Yosef says, I'm going to do a moifes. This Hanukkah, this Hanukkah, on the eighth day of Hanukkah, if each one of you says the whole Tehillim three times, each one of you, it's going to take you about seven and a half hours, you will have a baby by next year. <laughs> Doctors said they can't have children, they're like, they're amazed, they're going crazy. So they go, and on the seventh, on the, on this Hanukkah, the eighth day of Hanukkah, she's in her, she's crying to Hashem, and she's saying the whole Tehillim three times. It took her eight hours, and he's crying in the same house. He's crying to Hashem, and it took him eight hours, and she gets pregnant. They have a baby boy, they have a bris, and now they want to go to Chacham Yosef, say thank you. They come to Chacham Yosef, Chacham Yosef, look at our baby, the bracha you gave us with Zeis Hanukkah, it came true. It's amazing, we did, she said, I dive in my brains out. He says, I dive in his brains out. Chacham Yosef looks at her and says, No. Hashem didn't listen to one word you said. You would not have had a baby, but your husband, he's Kadosh. Hashem listened to him. Now, even if that was true, would Chacham say that? He would say, Baruch Hashem, you both daven, Hashem gave you a baby. They don't want to hurt her feelings. How could the Torah say, Vayet Aloi? The Pesach before says they both davened, and the Torah says, Hashem didn't listen to her. He listened to him. And Rashi says, he's a tzaddik ben tzaddik, she's a tzaddik ben Rasha. So, so just the Torah say, Hashem listened to them and they had a child. Well, so because she's a tzaddik ben Rasha, you're going to make fun of her? What's going on over here? Why is the Torah telling us that Hashem only listened to him? These are bomb questions. This is a bomb question. Did it bother you? It has to bother you. Here's a Terence. Amazing answer. Yitzhak down to Hashem, he said like this, Hashem, if you give me a child, I want him to be a tzaddik. But if he's not going to be a tzaddik, I want him to be a Russia, bad to the bone. Because if he's a tzaddik, he's a tzaddik, and if he's a Russia and he's really bad, I saw what happened to Yishmael. Yishmael was bad to the bone, but look, he did tshuva at the end. So if he's really bad, and he knows he's bad, he could do tshuva. Rivka said, no, 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 no. I got a father, Basula Arami, bad to the bone. He never changed. I got a brother, Lovin Arami, bad to the bone. He never changed. I don't agree with you. 
Hashem, if you give me a tzaddik, great. If you don't give me a tzaddik, give me a guy that's like, not a real Russia. Like, you know, he doesn't do everything. Doesn't go to minion, but he dominates. I don't know, whatever. But wishy-washy. But don't give me a Russia. I know what it means to live with two Risham, and they don't change. That was their argument. So we need to know that Rivka's argument came from having a brother love in Arami and having a father Basul Arami. That's why the Pussy tells us that. The Torah tells us not, not that they're both down for a child and Hashem listened to Yitzchak and not to her. But yet Allah is, Hashem said, you're right. You don't want a wishy-washy kid. They only thought they're having one kid. You don't want a wishy-washy kid. You want either a good guy or a bad guy. Because the good guy is good and the bad guy can change because he knows he's bad. But yet Allah, Hashem answered him, you are right. Now, she goes past the church and the baby, and she starts having contractions. The baby wants to get out. And then she goes past the yeshiva and she's having contractions. The baby wants to get out. And she said, one second, Hashem, you said that you listened to him. This kid is wishy-washy. You listen to me. He wants to go to church and he wants to go to yeshiva. Hashem. She went to figure out a drusher from Hashem. Hashem, you said you listened to him. But my baby is listening to me. So I have to understand, Hashem, what did you say? And what was the answer that Hashem said? No, I didn't listen to you. You got two kids. I listened to him. You got one bat to the bone, and you got one tzaddik. There's two. He never did tshuva. Right, so he had the ability, because he was bigger than, he was, we were supposed to have Four Imahos and four Avais. Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and Esav. Esav was supposed to be one of the, in fact, he tries to get to the table when Mashiach comes, there's a whole Gemara on it, whatever it is. He was very, very big. He didn't do tshuva. In the end, Rivka was, it came out that she was right. He didn't do tshuva in the end. It wasn't like Yishmael. But the Maisi, Yitzhak, of Vinu, and, and many of the Farshim say he knew who Esav was. He didn't fool him. But he knew that he had Davin for someone that would be this Russia, and he believed that he could flip him. So he had a special love for him. Because he Davin for this. He Davin, whatever you give me, it should be solid. He didn't know he was having two kids. But he Davin for this. So he believed that in the end, this guy's going to turn. And he could have turned. He didn't turn, but he could have turned. Had he turned, he was bigger than Yaakov. It says he was bigger than all the others. He would have been the biggest. He didn't turn. So that's why she said... She wasn't complaining that she was having labor pain. She said, Why are you listening to me? You, did, you said, you're not listening to me. Also, is Avram Avinu also knew this. Avram Avinu, knew, Avram Avinu agreed with Yitzchak. Because Avram Avinu sent Eliezer to Besuel and Lavan. He said, I don't want from the Canaanim. Because the Canaanim will wish you... What happened to all these... Uh, uh, it says he, that he had a huge yeshiva, and she had a huge base Yaakov. What happened to all those people? They're not in the Torah. Nothing about them. They should have been religious. They should have been Jews. They should have been nothing. What happened to them? So it brings down that after Avram died, right? Yitzhak wasn't, wasn't paying them and building them beautiful houses and giving them to eat. They went off. They, it was at the higher price. You give me a thousand dollars, I'm a Jew. You give me two thousand dollars, I'm, I'm, I'm an Islam. And Avraham Avinu knew that about them because Avraham Avinu was the one who was makar of them. So he's like, these guys are wishy-washy. Today, church, tomorrow, shul, depending who gives them more. I don't want that. I don't want wishy-washy. 
in my in Kleistral. So Yitzchok's theory of black and white was Avram's theory. He said, you go to my family, but your family are a bunch of lowlifes. Besuel and Avram Avinu tried to change Besuel and Lava and he couldn't. So why would you send Eliezer to get a girl from that family? These guys were the worst. Avram said, that stubbornness, I couldn't get these guys to become good. That stubbornness, if you could find someone in the family that has that stubbornness for the good, they won't be wishy-washy. They're going to be solid. They, just like I can't turn Lavan and Besuel into good, they won't be able to turn the Rivka, who's good, into bad. So she said, if my child is wishy-washy and he wants to go to church and he wants to go to Davin, then why did Avram pick me? The reason he picked me is because I'm solid. But if my kid's not solid, then he could have had a Kanani. Hashem said, no, Avram was right and Yitzhak was right and I listened to them and that's the drasha and therefore that's the danger. And by the way, that's the danger that we're in right now. And that is that rationalization of bad and making it good causes that the person will never do tshuva. And therefore, if you're doing something wrong, you can do tshuva, you can change your life, but know that you're doing something wrong. Don't make it into like a Kiddush Hashem. I just had it with a girl who spoke terrible Lashon Hara. Someone came to her and asked her about a girl that she was friendly with. And she told the Shachin that even though she's a good girl now, she had boyfriends, she had this, she had that. And I heard about this. And I was like, like, why did you do that? You destroyed this girl, did so much work. She changed her whole life. She's such a good girl today. Why would you tell them? Wallstein, it's not fair. They asked me a question. And, and I had to tell them because the boy has to know what he's getting. He's getting maybe used goods. That was the, that's what she said. Used goods. That's what she called her friend. Used goods. I'm like... You know, you're jealous that she got this date with this guy and you don't. She said, how could you say that? Because when you say that someone's used goods, that, that's, not, that's, 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 and you're making it right because you needed to protect this boy. Did you ask a Shiloh? Did you ask a Rav? You did this on your own. You know why? Because you're single. And maybe you don't want your friend to get married. I said, you need to go home and think about it. Because you are exactly what's going on in Pasha's Toldos. You're exact, you're rationalizing. Well, I have to say this. I have to save the boy. You're rationalizing it. You could say to yourself, you know what? I was jealous. I ruined her shit up because I need to work on myself. I need to work on my midos. I, I didn't want her. She should get married and I should not get married. Okay. Call a spade a spade. You'll change. Don't make it into a mitzvah. Don't make it into a mitzvah. You make it into a mitzvah, it's never going to change. Think about why you really said it. And that, that's the lesson of this week's parasha. And that's the lesson. And that's what Taylor Lidrashem. And Shnei Goyim There's two Goyim in your stomach. One is good, bad to the bone. And one is the biggest tzaddik in the world. One is Yaakov and one is Esau. But know it. And that's what happened in this week's parasha. May we all have the ability to see HaKadosh Baruch Hu in his Bria, in his Torah, in his davening, in his learning, in his spirituality. And that, in that we, we know he sees us all the time. We, now we're in a time that we must, we must see him. And Amuna means, Amuna, the real word of Amuna is not belief or trust. It's when you just surrender. Amuna is surrender. It's like Hashem, 
That's surrender. Here Hashem, here, here am I. Here's my stuff. I have, you know, I put up my sail. The wind comes from the east. We're going east today. The wind comes from the west. We're going west today. Whatever you want, it's, it's surrender. It's very hard for a human being just to surrender. But what a life. When you surrender yourself to Kosh Baruch Hu and you just go with him, what an amazing life. And we all be Mashiach, it's the month of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is Nisim Nigloyim. It's miracles of, in the open. Purim is hidden, but this is in the open. It's supposed to light one day, lights eight days. A little teeny band of five Jews, five Maccabees, destroy the whole Greek empire. May Klai Yisrael this month in the month of miracles. See open miracles. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.